0: You're listening to ReachMD XM167, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to part one of conference coverage highlights from the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions 37th Annual Conference held January 21st through 24th in Orlando, Florida. I'm your host, Lawrence Sherman, Senior Vice President for Educational Strategy at Prova Education and also the host of Lifelong Learning here on ReachMD. One of the big stories from this conference is that the organization has changed its name to reflect a new direction, so henceforth, the organization will be known as the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions, the ACEHP, moving away from just medical to the full healthcare professional spectrum, and they can be seen at acehp.org. Joining us now is Dr. Murray Coppolo, Chief Executive of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education. Welcome, Murray. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Lawrence, nice to be here. Thank you very much. Your talk today was very interesting, talking about REMS. And I, I wonder if we could talk a little bit uh, about the impact of REMS on the practicing physicians.
1: REMS is a risk, risk evaluation and mitigation strategies. It's a term coined by the Food and Drug Administration. If we all remember reading the papers over the last four, five, six, seven years in previous administrations in the federal government's, the FDA took a lot of heat for um, the amount of post-marketing surveillance they were doing. There was a lot of uh, um, pre-approval energy being spent, and then the physicians were left to manage the patients and the use of the, of the pharmaceuticals that, that, uh, that were approved. And it became apparent that there was uh, harm. Things aren't completely safe, that, that within a very narrow range of, of uh, therapeutic indications and doses and frequency, um, harm is 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 reduced. But with millions and millions of people using things in millions and millions of doses, risk rises and becomes apparent. And the Food and Drug Administration has been pretty brave, I think, in saying we're going to do something to intervene. And I think we're terrific, in, in most recently in the uh, long-acting and, and sustained-release opioids, said not only are we going to have components of these strategies that require the prescribers to be educated we're going to use accredited continuing education as as a strategic asset to the process to ensure and what we think to ensure the best outcome and and so i think that the rems is is as an example of a phenomenon an example of something where the the doctors in the in the united states and all the prescribers of all the users of devices that are regulated, but any clinical practice. As we practice, gaps become manifest. Issues, uh, both in our own individual practices and in, in, in the population in general, become manifest. And I think that as the profession becomes aware of these things, the profession should, should drive their accredited continuing education to address those needs at a community level, at a population level, at, at individual levels. And I think REMS is a manifestation of that. The data shows that substance abuse disorders is, a, is common, most, the second most common cause of accidental death in the United States. That's a public health emergency, an urgency. And there are more and more of those. And, I, and credited continuing education hasn't been the first thing people have gone to to help
0: fix those. So... Um the listeners, the practicing physicians and healthcare professionals, what should they be thinking about now uh, when they're when we're talking about REMs and what their role is?
1: Uh, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you an example. When I was a emergency physician, uh, before I came to the United States in Winnipeg in Canada, I was the, the the CME dean and an emergency physician. And off the roof of the workers' compensation building jumped a, a person who had chronic pain and 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 disorders from work for which he got no relief from the system. And he killed himself. And we were all startled by that. And, and, and then not too long after that, a second person went off the roof of workers' compensation and killed himself, um, having gotten no relief from the system. And I was a practicing physician. I was a CME person. I called up the doctors in charge of physical medicine and that and said, this must be alarming, this must be terrible, you must be concerned, continuing edu- maybe continuing education could help this somehow. Can I come down and can I talk to you? Because I work in the emergency, I see this, and I, I, let's talk. And what became manifest was that, that in practice, the practicing physicians who were the first responders, the first people to see these people when they were first injured, could... Um, have had a better set of skills than a different set of skills in order to approach these people and to give them um, instructions in the beginning. And, the, and, and we instituted continuing education activities and changes of practice in the community physicians to change the outcome. And that was a, that was a practicing physician-based identification of a need. It was a community need. And the community physicians got together to to change what was happening in their community. And I think that that's a real-world example of what the physicians in the United States and around the world can do. They can see what it is that's wrong in their practice or wrong in their community. And yes, they can change what history they take or what questions they ask any individual patient, but they can also get together as groups of physicians and say, are we doing this the best way we can? Should we have a different continuing education strategy? Should we get some help from experts? And the practicing
0: physicians can identify what's going on and direct some of the things that are going on to fix it. So that's almost participatory medical education. It's not just that single step of self-assessment, but it really is participation throughout the process. I identify a need, we collectively identify a need, we establish what we can do to meet that need, and then we measure how it's met.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a great way to describe it. I mean, if you talk to continuing medical education providers, they often say that one of their biggest barriers is getting participation by the learners. The people who should care most about what is being taught and what is being done seem to care the least about saying what should be next or how good this was. But if it's by them, for them, it's theirs. And, if, and they would say, please let me tell you what it is that I want. And please let it be this. And I want this. And I want to evaluate it because
0: I want you to do it better next time. It's a nice model. Well, nice model. well it is a nice model. And, and maybe that's one of the things, as we think, how we can improve as a system, right? not an accreditation system, but a medical education system, we can see how we can change that process so learners know they could and should be involved. I think it's always been a push system. So we just push out the education. We do need assessments, but we push out a lot of stuff that may or may not be relevant to the individual learners. But if we have a push and pull system where we pull from them what, what we need, they push to us what they want, it changes that model. I've been,
1: begun to say that continuing education is something we do for the physicians, not to the physicians and i think that that captures what it is that you're talking about it's it's it it's not ours it's not it's not the accreditation bodies cme and it's not the
0: cme providers cme it's the learners cme well and that turns education into learning right because we can all design develop and implement education but it's the learners the, the people who are listening to us right now that need to learn i agree so so let's segue a little bit you mentioned public health before um, let's talk a little bit about uh, sort of the role of CME in maintaining and improving public health.
1: Some people would consider when you talk about public health, you're talking about epidemiology and population level health. And the other is that the, the public's health, person by person, disease process by disease process. And, and for, for this discussion, we can let's just blend those together and say that, that the, the, um, we all recognize that, that we want healthy people. That's our goal as physicians. And we also recognize that, that some of the greatest predictors or factors that cause health aren't the presence of physicians, but is the presence of clean water, of healthy families, of, of good socioeconomic status, of good, of good education. So the community health physician isn't one who just sees patients and addresses those individual needs, but is involved in the wider community in all of these areas and domains. So if you really want to make your young adolescent patients healthy, you can screen them and you can immunize them and you can talk to them. But if they're wearing their seatbelts, if they're not abusing substances, if they're succeeding at school, if they've got good, re- good relationships with their parents, if they're drinking clean water,
0: they're going to be healthy. Yeah, so it sounds to me like you're blending public health and social health into that sort of conglomerate, which makes perfect sense. I, I think, again, I've, I'm on record saying this a lot, we are guilty of focusing education that we develop on an individual disease process rather than on the management of the patient with the disease. And as we move towards developing education that we can manage the patient with the disease, the multidisciplinary, interprofessional, even participatory where we're involving the patient becomes evident. And I think that's sort of where this needs to go. I agree. And, and for a long time, continuing education
1: asked the doctors, so what diseases do you want us to teach about? What, what patient problem do you want us to put into grand rounds or or to, to write an article on. And the physicians dutifully responded and, and, and that's to, to a great extent very important still because if you see somebody with a problem you don't know what to do for them, you need to do something about that. But in this era of healthcare reform, of, 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 uh, of talking about giving everybody access, about, about increasing the number of people who are gonna get, get care and, and, and the number of and the people that are gonna get care that weren't getting care before, are in a high-risk area for having a lot of health problems and, and issues. The demands on us are going to get greater and greater. So the, the University of Wisconsin has got a nice model about, about the, uh, the factors that contribute to the variance in health. And their model shows that the, the 20% of, of, uh, of that variance is contributed by, the, by care. Half of that is quality of care, and the other is access to care. But the other 80% are all these social factors. About where they live, where they work, what they eat, what, the air that they breathe, the environment that they live in. And, um, and that's what public health has, has sort of emerged into and, and, and metamorphosized into, is to the healthcare care uh, people being involved in all of those elements.
0: You Know what that brings to mind you know one of my passions is the role of technology in medical education. I wonder if that's where more point of care education can also help so that access to education educational tools, um, you know barrier and obstacle uh, uh, addressing tools right at the point of care that are educationally designed might also help play a role. and I think an example of that of that, that makes that is relatively stark is if you
1: move out of North America, out of Canada, United States, out of Mexico, and take health care over to India or to the countries of Africa where the prevalence of highly trained physicians is less, where the, the, the amount of health care that's being delivered by physician extenders and others, that if, if, um, if those people who are doing the care had access to the kind of information via the technology that you were talking about. I postulate that the quality of the care for the general population would go up logarithmically without having to train another, for example, in in India, another 2 million MD physicians or nurse practitioners to to deliver that care, but with people with a physician assistant model who could be doing all the aspects of care, trained in a quarter of the time, but still being able to deliver care to the quality that that, uh, everybody in the first world is looking for.
0: So uh, I like to wrap these things up by saying Is there anything else you'd like to talk about on these subjects or anything else that you think would uh, be of interest to the listeners?
1: The continuing medical education enterprise in the United States is driven by the people who are in it, by the volunteers who are in it. And the, the continuing education volunteers in the United States are predominantly white and predominantly male. So for the people who are listening to this, who are um, not white and male, but who are participating in healthcare, ask themselves, are they participating in driving the continuing professional education system? And, and we would say that we would welcome, we would treasure, and we would invite all of these people to volunteer, because that would change the fabric of the continuing medical education that's being offered in this country um, in, a, in, a, in an enormous way.
0: I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Murray Coppolo, Chief Executive of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, for joining us today on Lifelong Learning. Murray, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been Part 1 of conference coverage highlights from the 37th Annual Conference of the Alliance for Continuing Education in Health Professions. I'm Lawrence Sherman on ReachMD XM167. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.